Brian McClanahan Show, episode 423. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, 10 Myths of American History, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. I do have a course coming out in April, so if you're over at McClanahan Academy, you'll get that course before anybody else. So you get that free class, and you also can purchase courses there to support this show, keep it free of charge. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com, click on that support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. Get your book played if you want my autograph on one of my books. Of course, you can purchase one of my books at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, my latest book, Southern Scribblings, a great collection of 60 essays in defense of the Southern tradition. You can also click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. It's a way to get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. So, Shirts, stickers, wall clocks even, uh, like uh, skins for your electronic devices, all kinds of cool stuff that you can get that logo on. And also go to LearnTrue, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, another great educational website where I teach with Tom and a whole lot of other great faculty members. And, of course, the, one of the great ways to support the show is to share it around on social media, rate it wherever you get your podcasts, let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally because that is how we turn this whole monstrous mess around. And I'm encouraged. I get a lot of emails from people that talk about, well, I've, I've gotten involved in local politics or I've done these things to try to get people uh, interested in the Constitution, the original Constitution or their state Constitution, or I'm going out and I'm talking to uh, people and educating them on different things about local government and state government and the federal government. That stuff is encouraging to me because that's, again, the only way we're going to make an impact. The top is so rotten through and through, there's almost no way to do it. And I think that's been evidence in the last, in, in the last uh, couple of weeks here. Now, I'm glad to be back. You know, I was out for about a week. I was feeling under the weather. So that's why you haven't seen a show since March. This is the first show of April. And it's great to be back and doing this. And I want to focus on something that's happened with the Georgia voter law. And I'm going to do it in a way that's not what you're seeing on social media or what you're seeing uh, you know, in, in news stories about this, how uh, nobody read the Georgia voter law. It's not been as restrictive as people said. And it was Joe Biden overplaying his hand, which it was. All that stuff is true. But I want to focus on the other side of it where the corporations came out and Coca-Cola, Delta, Major League Baseball. Of course, Major League Baseball's move was absolutely ridiculous. But I want to focus on that part of it. This also has to do with vaccine passports and other things that we're seeing from the quote-unquote private sector. Because the enemy in all of this is corporate America. Now, 
Republicans, the Republican Party, has been as responsible as any party in the United States or any group, any political entity in the United States for expanding the power of corporations in the last 150 years. In fact, the 14th Amendment did a lot to do that. And so the Republican Party is as responsible for this mess as the Democrats. The Democrats have this there's this false dichotomy, let me say this. There's a false dichotomy between the Republicans and Democrats. The Democrats are somehow anti-corporation. They're not. In fact, I think what all of this shows is one important truth about American politics, and that's that both sides, Democrats and Republicans, are two sides of the same coin, particularly when it comes to corporations and the powers of the central government. We have two Hamiltonian parties. We don't have a Jeffersonian party and a Hamiltonian party. We have two Hamiltonian parties. And look, this is by design. Herbert Crowley, who wrote The Promise of American Life in the early 20th century, said, you know what we need to do? We need to create a situation where we fuse Jefferson and Hamilton together because Jefferson was much more democratic and he had these lofty ideals of democracy, and but he was too decentralist. So what we need to do is take Hamilton's ideas on business, government, finance, active central government in a way and put them together and we create this big progressive monstrosity. Crowley was a progressive. Now, I mean, the progressives rhetorically talked about being anti-corporation and other things, but they're not. They're not. So what we lack in America today is a truly Jeffersonian understanding of American power. This is where we've gone off the rails. And when I talk about think locally, act locally, this is what I'm talking about. It's a Jeffersonian understanding of federal power. We've got the Democrats who are just as interested in federal power as the Republicans. The Republicans are certainly interested in federal power. Rhetorically, they're not. But there's only maybe a handful of people in the Congress who would really be opposed to federal power in principle. Because... Their voting record, their legislative record, all the things they do show clearly that the Republicans are as interested in the expansion of federal power as the Democrats. It's just for their pet projects. But both sides are certainly on board with corporate America. Mitch McConnell came out and said, you know, we got to be careful of corporations. They're kind of overstepping their bounds. And he walked that back because he understands, and he took a lot of heat for this, Republicans, again, have been very interested in the expansion of corporate power over the last 150 years. And I'm sure he faced some opposition from American corporations who were tend to lean more conservative. But we do have a number of corporations in America, for whatever reason, that lean to the left. The real issue is corporations. The real issue is this creation of corporations and corporate personhood. Because see, that's the, that's the most important part of this. Corporate personhood. Now, the founding generations didn't talk a whole lot about corporations, at least when the Constitution was written and ratified, except they understood that the general government could not charter corporations. And they also understood that the general government, at least the Jeffersonians, should not be involved in enriching corporations. This is the whole idea of corporate welfare. The Jeffersonians, the old Republicans, were opposed to corporate welfare. And what does that mean? Well, that means that they don't support using taxpayer dollars to enrich corporations, whether it's through federally funded internal improvements, 
whether it's through tax breaks, whatever it's through, whether it's through tariffs or lack of tariffs, they don't support corporate welfare. We've got two parties now that firmly support corporate welfare. They both do, and that's because they both take large amounts of cash from corporate, quote-unquote, persons. And we know that the Supreme Court has come down and said that corporations are persons, particularly when it comes to voting. This is why they can give large sums of cash to candidates. So the issue in America is a lack of understanding of Jeffersonian principles and why this is dangerous for American society. It's dangerous for the social order in American society. We're seeing it now. We had knee-jerk reactions from large multinational corporations. And two of them, of course, based in Georgia, Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines. And Major League Baseball pulling the All-Star game out of Georgia, which is just going to hurt Atlanta, minority business. I mean, this has all been pointed out. To go to Colorado, which is a majority white city, with strict voter ID laws. I mean, it's just the hypocrisy is just dripping all over the place. Major League Baseball really stepped in it. And I, I bet that Manfred never even read the law. He doesn't even know anything about it. He's just reacting. Well, this is a minority issue. So we're going to, but see, this is, this is the issue. We've got people now trying to interfere. And when I say social order, what I mean by that is not some type of racial social order. That's not what I'm talking about. But they're interfering to try to manipulate social relationships or at least power in the United States. This is where corporations can become dangerous. They can do it in any particular way. For a long time, it was to enforce uh, a, a real rigid, racially stratified social order. You saw that in America. Now... It's for things like social equity, which is another form of racism in the United States. They're both racist, if we really want to get to the heart of all of this. We've flipped everything on its head. So this is creating a massive problem. Because corporations have become persons, and they get involved in politics because they can. Now, I want to focus on two things in this particular episode. And that's what John Taylor of Caroline said about corporations. Now, if you don't know who John Taylor of Caroline is, he's one of the most important political thinkers in American history. He was the most Jeffersonian of all the Jeffersonian pamphleteers. There were a lot of great Jeffersonian political thinkers. But John Taylor of Caroline was one of the best, and he wrote several treatises on federal power. And I'm going to read to you a quote within context from his book, Tyranny Unmasked. Now, Tyranny Unmasked essentially is an essay against corporate welfare. It's a long essay. It's a book form, but essentially a long essay against corporate welfare. And he goes through this long process by which he defines what's happening in America because of the policies of the central government, the centralizers, and what they're going to do And the language that they use, which is ridiculous, the unbalanced language, it's almost Orwellian in how he does this, okay? So 
so he begins, he, he goes to this long discussion of these things. Let me, let me read. He said, about 50 years past, I read a description of a British ministry by Edmund Burke. As well as I recollect, he likened it to a tessellated pavement, a mosaic work composed of different colored shells, a motley assemblage of discordant materials, so that when the members met, they stared at each other, and each wondered how he could have gotten into such company. Let us see if you are not compounding a government according to the heterogeneous model of this corrupt administration. So he's saying, look, I read this essay by Edmund Burke, and he, he described the government, Butte's government, the ministry, as being this tessellated pavement, this, this very strange set of contradictions. And he, go, he, he starts listing all of these contradictions that are going on in the United States and see if we don't have that particular situation today. And I'll get to the corporation part because it's, it's not very far down in this. He said, the people of the United States and not the people of the states made the federal government. And therefore, the federal government has a right to exercise the powers reserved by the people to the state governments. He's saying this is what the current government believes, not what Taylor believes. This is what the current government believes. The states have no original rights. Therefore, they could not confederate, nor could the federal government make the state governments before it was made itself. So see, there's a... So the states couldn't do this, but the federal government couldn't make the states. So what do we actually have? Both being non-entities when the Constitution was made and being created at the same time, the federal government became heir to all the powers of the people as their more bulky production, though not the firstborn, and thus obtained a supremacy over state rights, though it did not create them. So, I mean, look at all the contradictions he's pointing out here. This is, what, this is why I say people just stare at each other and they don't know what to do. Election is a complete security against federal unconstitutional acts. It is not security against state unconstitutional acts, because all the states will elect wisely, and each state will elect foolishly. As the same people will elect good men to represent them in one legislative chamber of commerce and bad men to represent them in two legislative chambers of each state, the one house of representatives not having a power to make laws is a safer guardian of the state local right self of self-government than the two houses. So, of course, because we're not going to elect bad people to the federal government, we'll elect bad people to the state government. That, I mean, this doesn't make any sense. If you're going to elect bad people, you're going to elect bad people. It doesn't matter who, where you elect them. Powers are divided between the federal and state departments to restrain ambitious men in both. They are accumulated in the hands of ambitious men in one. <laughs> a federal republic is best for maintaining a republican form of government over a country so extensive as the United States. A consolidated republic is better. So a federal republic is best, but a consolidated republic is better. Think about the language here. A federal republic, this is what the founders created, he's saying, but then you got that, well, this is great, but then when consolidated is better. Confederation is union, consolidation is union. Each state has a right to make its own constitution. Congress has a right to make a constitution for each state. Each state has a right to make its own laws. Congress and the court can repeal them and make local laws for the states. You see what's happening here? The people of the states have a right to make the federal constitution and to prohibit its alteration, except with the concurrence of three-fourths of the legislatures of the several states. Congress and the Supreme Court may make alterations without concurrence of a single state 
or a majority of the people of all the states? So which one is it? Powers are divided by the terms of the union between the state and federal departments. A portion of one department may make a new division. The people have two rights of self-government, state and federal. It is expedient to take away or neutralize one. Election is the best security against unconstitutional laws for usurping powers withheld either from the federal or state governments. The Supreme Court is a better. <laughs> you see, this is being written in the early 90s, uh, I think 18, 1822. My memory serves me, clerk. 1822. He's writing this in 1822. Where are we now? The exact same thing is happening. A mutual right of self-preservation, both in the federal and state governments, is the next best. Such a right in one is indispensable, in the other, pernicious. The protection of property is an end of government. Its transfer by fraudulent laws is another end. Government has no right to take away the property of one man and give it to another. It has a right to take away the property of all men and give it to one. <laughs> Taxes ought to be imposed for national use. They also ought to be imposed for rich corporations and exclusive privileges. So there's where he got to corporations. And he goes on here. I mean, there's some of the funny things. The federal government department cannot constitutionally inv invade states' rights. It may do so if it pleases. I mean, this is, this is where you get to this stuff. So, <clears throat> and it's wonderful. I mean, this, if, you can't, if you can't read anything else from these early Jeffersonians... You have to read John Taylor of Caroline, uh, which is why I've included him in several of my books, uh, particularly in my How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America. But here we have Jeff uh, the most Jeffersonian of all the old Republicans, I think, or the old, most Republican of all the old Republicans, maybe. I mean, it's you can make an argument for that. Talking about corporations. One of the reasons why the Jeffersonians oppose the Bank of the United States is because it was a government-created corporation to enrich some at the expense of the few. And so this is where we have corporations. Now, I want to fast forward to 1936, to a book published in 1936 entitled Who Owns America? A New Declaration of Independence. And there's an essay that appeared in this book by a man named Richard B. Ransom. Now, Richard B. Ransom is uh, he's not, it's not John Crow Ransom. He has the you know, last, same last name. Richard B. Ransom was an economist, a decentralized or economists interested in decentralization, I should say. And he wrote an interesting essay in this book entitled Corporate, Corporate and Private Persons. Corporate and Private Persons. I'm going to read the first part of that essay because, again, I think it gets into what we're seeing today in modern American society and why real Americans on both sides of the spectrum should be interested in reigning in corporations. Because really what we have, when you, when you look at the progressive left, they're, they're confused about what they should do. They're, they're being bulldozed by Marxism. In reality, what they should be looking at is real Jeffersonian Americanism. And on the right, the same thing, because you see the end will be the same. And that is more liberty and more freedom for people. Now, you could say the progressives don't care about that because, I mean, Mask mandates, all this other kind of stuff. All the progressive states are shutting all this. You can see they're not really interested in liberty. But anyone interested in liberty should read this book. And I'll hold it up. Who owns, who owns America? 
And uh, again, published in 1936, six years after I'll Take My Stand. It's the follow-up, and in many ways a better book because it's more comprehensive. And this thing is a thick monster of a book. I wrote a chapter on it in uh, Forgotten Conservatives in American History with Clyde Wilson. Uh, I wrote that particular chapter. And uh, it was, it's, it's one of my favorite chapters I've ever written. But this, this particular essay is, is just really good because it gets to the heart of what we're seeing in this current Georgia voter law crisis. And he begins, The federal constitution was originally drawn not only to grant powers to the national government, but strictly to reserve to the several states or to the people every authority not specifically entrusted to the federal government. The Constitution makes no mention at all of corporate organizations, perhaps because the use of these for the conduct of ordinary business was practically unknown to the America of the 18th century. The several states are therefore quite clearly within their competent authority in granting corporate charters and regulating corporate forums, and the national government is quite as evidently ill-equipped to create or control corporations except for strictly federal or interstate functions. Yet, and by a most convenient legal fiction, both state and federal courts have assumed that the Constitution guarantees to corporate entities every appropriate legal and property right in which it protects the private citizen. So see, it's the court systems that are creating the monstrosity of corporations. And if you look at it, when you, where did corporate personhood originate? Well, from the federal courts. This is where it comes from. It doesn't come from any act, really. It comes from the federal courts. It doesn't come from the states. From the courts. He says, this is a richly fertile assumption. Under its stimulus, corporations not only flourished and monopolized the most productive business fields within these states, but it made a veritable legal jungle of the no-man's land that lies between states' rights and the entrenchments of the national authority. The extent of that territory has never been mapped or precisely defined, and practically its only explorers have been corporate lawyers and criminals seeking refuge. Neither of these is primarily concerned with the public interest, 100% true. In fact, you could say corporations are never really concerned with the public interest. They're concerned with their bottom line. Delta and Coca-Cola and Major League Baseball, just to point out three, made a concerted decision that they believed that by doing this thing with the voter law, they would gain money. You see, because they're not interested in really speaking out against human rights violations, if they were, they wouldn't do business in China. When you look at uh, General Motors, which of course is a corporation, why did it nix Pontiac? Well, it nix Pontiac because it was either Pontiac or GMC or Buick. Well, they weren't going to nix GMC because they make a lot of money on trucks. So then it was, came down to Buick or Pontiac, and they got rid of Pontiac because the Chinese buy large numbers of Buicks. So they did what was in their best interest, bottom line, selling to China. China is the key in all this, and China, of course, being a monstrosity of a communist centralized state is highly problematic because it has a tremendous influence over America because of corporations. The social score that we're getting, the, the vaccine passports, the ESG scores some people have started talking about, all that's coming out of China. We're modeling America now after China. And the Biden administration can run around and say, well, you know, we're, we're 
We're opposing China. No, you're not. You're not opposing China. There's no opposition to China, really. If there was, things would look a lot different. We wouldn't have any of this stuff that we're doing with you know, ESG scores or vaccine passports or all these other things. This stuff wouldn't be happening. We would have corporations saying, you know what? We're going to pull out of the Olympics or whatever it is, or you know, we're, we're, we're going to oppose uh, the, the Chinese. Well, they don't. They don't. Because they want the cheap labor. There's no environmental regulations in China, really, and they can go pollute over there all they want. These are the things that corporations want. So they're going to be, they're going to virtue signal in the United States, but yet everyone knows the hypocrisy because of China. And this is exactly what Ransom is pointing out in this particular essay. These people have no, no regard for the individual American. They don't care. It's always about their bottom line. And government enriches them, as John Taylor of Caroline pointed out. This is corporate welfare. The general government creates legislation, creates shelters, creates all kinds of things for corporations so that they can still function. Now, you can say, well, but they're going to tax them. And, of course, Ransom actually talks about taxing corporations in this. And Biden wants to raise taxes on corporations. You've got large tech companies saying, we'll pay it. I'm sure there's some kickback coming for them somewhere. But they'll just pay it. So he says, corporations differ from natural persons in at least three essential particulars. They are permanent, except as on occasion corporation is limited to its, in its tenure of life by some special legislative grant or charter. On the other hand, the term of a natural person is limited by his expectation of life, and at his death his estate is divided among his heirs and further diminished by the taxation of inheritances. So corporations are permanent. It doesn't matter. who's are these big functioning entities that just continue on and on and on. Coca-Cola has been around for over 100 years. Delta Airlines. Major League Baseball. Take your pick. And so you get new leadership and they do different things, but yet the, cor- the inertia of the corporation and the power they have continues in perpetuity until unless they go bankrupt or there's a charter that says they're limited. Their responsibility is impersonal. And the responsibility of the, their organizers and owners is limited by stature or charter. The responsibility of a private individual for his acts and his debts, however, is personal and unlimited and extends from his person to his entire state rather than to a particular form of liability or limited type of transaction. Impersonal reaction, impersonal interactions. It's all impersonal. It's about the bottom line. Selling Coke, who cares? Selling airline tickets, whatever it is. Give me some tax breaks. So I put my corporation in your city, which is what happened. When Delta moved to Atlanta, there was some talk about Delta moving to Columbia, South Carolina. But Atlanta outbid them, and so Columbia, South Carolina didn't get the major hub. There was some talk about that. But to do it, Georgia had to give Delta a tremendous amount of tax breaks. This is why the state legislature said, you know, we'll just yank your tax breaks. You want to you criticize us? We'll just make it to where you can't have all this money. Well, there you go. Corporate management may in practice be entirely independent of its titular or actual ownership, but as to the property of private persons, this is not ordinarily practicable for any considerable length of time. In each of these respects, corporations have become far more independent of natural law and more ruthless in their competition with private citizens than was ever contemplated in their original statutory authorizations. And they are much more difficult to restrain or control than would be the case 
if the operations of each were confined to the state which originally chartered it. Right? So because Coke has such international reach, it can do all kinds of things and affect the people of Georgia, the place that it was chartered. I believe Coke was chartered in Georgia, but it can, it can do all kinds of things to affect the people of Georgia. By opposing this Georgia, I mean, look, there could be boycotts. They could do all kinds of things to the people of Georgia. Now, of course, the people of Georgia are starting to boycott Coke, but they're going to Pepsi or whatever the case may be. There's another corporation. Is that corporation going to be any more receptive to the people of Georgia than Coca-Cola? Probably not. Delta Airlines, if you want to fly out of Atlanta, you can fly another airlines. But, of course, other airlines are just as bad. So what do you do? It's because of corporate personhood. They can't be touched in many ways. By legal courtesy, corporations are persons. By legislative sanction, they may possess the control of property or services without specific accounting and independent of any personal responsibility. By business custom, their managements may collectively accomplish corporate acts and corporate policies, which any decent person morally would reject as illegal or unfair. Right? Major League Baseball pulling the All-Star game out of Georgia, which is unfair to the people of Atlanta. It's unfair to the businesses that are going to be hurt by that because Major League Baseball decides to virtue signal and go to a place that has even more restrictive voter laws, at least... ID laws than Georgia does. I mean, this is just preposterous. Stupid. But of course, Colorado is a progressive state. This makes you wonder why anyone in Georgia would want to remain in the Union. Or anyone in Alabama or Mississippi or Florida. Why would Florida, looking at what's happening with Ron DeSantis, want to stay in the Union? South Carolina? Why would they want to do it? Why would some of the mountain states, Montana, Wyoming... Why would they want to stay in the Union? Idaho? Modern conditions have vastly multiplied the economic uses of corporations and business, and their number, complexity, and size make that impact upon individual fortunes and upon the social order too grave to be uncontrolled. The restraint can no longer be safely entrusted to the same legal sanctions and to the same codes of ethics which may adequately control private enterprise and private persons. So Ransom is going to make a case in this particular essay of heavy heavy regulation of corporations. But see, this is where we get to state capitalism and what's happening in America. The the Jeffersonians were against state capitalism. And so what what some of them started to do was say, well, we need to use the state to regulate. We got if we're going to promote it on one hand, we got to regulate it on the other. And and there you get into the complexity of the early 20th century Jeffersonians in some way. But Who Owns America is a great book, and I think that essay starts setting up, and I don't, because of time, I'm not going to read any more of it. But John Taylor of Caroline pointed out what was happening in 1822. Here we have 1936, 100 years later, give or take a few years. And we've got Ransom talking about the problems of corporations, and as Taylor pointed out, it's the courts creating it, and as Ransom verifies, it's the courts doing it. The real issue in America is the federal court system and how everyone relies on that. And, of course, what that's done for American society. The whole point of corporations 
is to enrich themselves, to do whatever they think is just and right, and the people be damned. And that's generally what happens, whether it's a left-wing cause or a right-wing cause, so-called, whether it's an environmental cause or non-environmental cause, whatever it is, corporations are acting in their own interest at all times. And there's a reason why they're doing it. And of course, you know, Coca-Cola virtue said maybe they think they can gain some market share by saying we oppose Georgia law. Maybe more minorities will buy Coke. I don't know. Uh, or, you know, Delta Airlines. Maybe more minorities will fly on Delta. I don't know what it is. What their angle, but there's always a business angle to it. Nike, in adopting, you know, the, Colin Kaepernick as their spokesman, apparently saw a spike in sales because of that. So maybe there's this idea that going out and getting on board with social justice causes is going to create more revenue for these corporations. I don't know. At one time, it might have been the other way, and so they wouldn't do these things. Who knows what's happening? But certainly corporations are a major problem, and uh, how to regulate, how to deal with these things is something that, at, the, at its core, what needs to happen is the central authority needs to stop embracing corporate welfare in all of its forms and to rein in these corporations through, not necessarily through positive legislation, but through negative legislation. You, you make it to where the corporations uh, essentially don't have the federal government in their pocket. It's the fusion of corporations and, and finance and government that's always been the problem. John Taylor of Caroline, the Jeffersonians, pointed this out um, in the early 19th century, late 18th century. All right, so that's my take on this corporation situation, regardless of the vote of Georgia, Georgia voter law, I mean, uh, and all that stuff. I mean, but this is the real issue. It's the corporations trying to press, and it's tech companies. I mean, this is all corporations. It's all these things trying to press on the liberties and independence of the people of America, the people of the states, and how do we wrestle with that in the future? Well, you got to think locally and act locally, and you got to start enacting negative legislation. Breaking this stuff apart. That's how it starts to work. All right. I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.